If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 through 22. Um, if you're visiting with us, you're here at a great time. Uh, just to give you a heads up, next week we are jumping into a new series. We're going to walk through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's going to be a fantastic time. So you have got to be here. Bring a friend. Uh, it's going to be a great time to visit and hang with us as we journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 through 22. Hear now the words of the Lord. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. But at peace, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, get this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Those are the very words of God, amen? Amen. I should have been a basketball player, professionally. You know why? Because I got a good jump shot. I got a pretty good jump shot, and and, and I'm pretty quick. Um, I can slash to the basket. I should have played professional basketball because I'm quick. Look at me. Don't I look like a basketball player? Look at y'all. Y'all laughing at me. You know why you're laughing at me? Because I don't look like a basketball player. I'm not tall enough. I'm not big enough. I cannot jump high enough. I can barely still get the rim. And I'm quick, but I am not quick enough to play professional basketball. Even though I love basketball, and as a kid, basketball is really what I wanted to do. But I'm not good enough. See, when I was a kid, on one hand, I had this desire to play professional basketball. And on the other hand, there was a different plan that God had in mind. See, on one side, I had a will or a desire, a purpose in mind for myself. But on the other hand, God had a totally different purpose, a plan, and a desire in mind. Actually, God would have a plan and a purpose and a desire in mind that I had no clue. You couldn't convince me uh, some ten years ago that I would be right here. You, you couldn't convince me that I would be here. But if you try to convince me that I'd be here, uh, I may have would have believed you. Because that was my desire. That, that was my purpose. And no matter how much I wanted it as a kid, I'm not good enough. Why? Not just because of my physique, but because God had a different plan in mind. Get this. Some of us, even this morning, 
we have the proverbial ball in our hands. And we have been working towards our own purpose, our own desire, and our own plans to, get, to gain our pursuits. But God has a different plan, a different purpose, a different will in mind. And this morning, I think what Paul is going to say to us, he's going to reveal, he's going to illuminate some of that purpose, some of that plan, what God's will is for us. And many of us ask these questions. We ask questions like, man, what, what's God's will for my life? Paul's going to give us a glimpse of what that is this morning. Many of us ask the question, oh, who am I going to marry? Um, uh, who, what, should I get in this dating relationship or not? Or should I move? Or, or should I take that new job? All of these questions that we have, and I think Paul will speak to those things as well this morning. It's going to talk about the will of God. This morning I want to speak to the subject, from the subject, God's plan versus our plan. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that the tomb is empty. And thank you that because the tomb is empty, we have hope. And just like we had hope last week as we remembered your resurrection, God, we still have hope this week. And we say thank you because you are good. And Lord, your mercy endures forever. So now, God, would you be present with us to speak, to teach us, to convict us of sin? Father, would you, would you help us, O oh Lord? Father, we desire to be like you. And I pray that that would be accomplished this morning by the power of your spirit. Father, that we may know you deeper and that we may make you known. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, The interesting thing about Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is that they are believers. And most likely the Thessalonians wrote Paul with several concerns. And one of the major concerns they wrote Paul about is, Paul, what happens after we die? And Paul, over and over again, actually in every chapter of his letter to to the Thessalonians, every chapter in, in 1 Thessalonians mentions the second coming of Christ. So Paul gives them some reassurance that Jesus is going to come back one day. And church, you do not have to worry. But one of the things I love about this is that that gives us hope that Jesus is coming back. I'll come back to that later. Let me give you a working definition as we'll talk about the will of God this morning. Let me give you a working definition of the will of God. Wayne Grudem says it this way. God's will is that attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and the activity of himself and all creation. He's saying God is the one who approves and determines what needs to happen for himself and not just for himself, but for everything else. He says, God determines and God approves what happens and what needs to happen, not just for himself, but for everything that exists. There are two different parts of God's will. Hang in there. We'll we'll get to the main course in a second. 
Um, there's two different parts of God's will. There is God's revealed will. And in, the, in God's revealed will, those are things that we know through his word. It's like the Ten Commandments. We know what God wills through the Ten Commandments. But then God has his secret will. Those things that we do not know. We don't know who we will marry. We don't, we don't, we don't know um, uh, whether we should get into that dating relationship or not sometimes. We don't know whether we should take the job or not. We don't know what's going to happen if tragedy strikes. God has a secret will, but he also has a revealed will. Let me just say, uh, we can begin to understand all the depths. We cannot begin to understand all the depths of of God's will for us. But what I love about Paul's letter is that he gives believers a good bit of God's revealed will. And I think it's going to help us this morning. Paul shows us when we understand the will of God, we're more concerned with others over ourselves. He says, when you really understand the will of God for your life, you will be more concerned with others rather than yourself. Look at verse 14 with me. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See, many of us ask, what is the will of God for my life? Uh, What should I be doing with my life? Paul makes it clear here. He helps us with it. He says, help those who have nothing to offer you in return. Here's the will of God for your life. Help those who have nothing to give you back. Mm. That's hard for us Westerners. That's hard for us Westerners who have an individualistic culture, right? That's hard for us. We, we serve ourselves and we're taught that we ought to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. But Paul says, no, no, no. The way that you know that you are understanding the will of God, the way that you understand and the way that you are inside of the will of God is by serving others in a deep way. Get this, when Paul says, admonish the idol, he's saying, if you want to be in the will of God, you will be instructing the undisciplined and the disorderly, which means you don't have time to shun them because you are serving them. That's your responsibility. Paul says, you won't know uh, what to plan. You won't, you won't know. If you want to know what God's plan is for you, serve those who have nothing to offer you. See, the purpose of God for you is that you cheer up the discouraged. God's purpose for you is that you cling to, that you are devoted to the helpless and the unable. He's speaking of the haves and the have-nots. And one of the cool things I love about this text is here Paul is talking to the church and he's saying, help those who are helpless. Do you get this? So there are some haves and some have nots in the same church. There are some who who have a lot and there's some who have very little in the same church. That's not how we do church very often. Not in Memphis, Tennessee, it's not. And let me tell you, downtown church, what's happening here at our church and what God is building here and cultivating here is not new. Don't feel good about yourself. 
Because what Paul is saying here is the church of Thessalonica was a diverse church along socioeconomic lines. He says, help those who are helpless. Um, Help those who have nothing to offer you. See, in God's economy, being inside the will of God means you have an understanding of the reality that your journey is no longer about you. Your, your walk with the Lord is no longer about you. Uh, rather, it is overcoming yourself to be a blessing to somebody else. Overcoming who you are and who, what you think you need to serve and to run to the needs of others. Man, I remember growing up, one of the crazy things, and I'm not advocating violence. Hear me say that. Um, one of the crazy things about growing up, though, is that in my neighborhood, we just fought a lot. We, we, we got into fights a lot. And so here's one of the things. Um, I, had three sis- I have three sisters and, and one brother, and I'm the youngest of five. Um, it was a rule in my house that you never left a man behind. Are you with me? So, so if one person got into a fight, everybody fighting. Uh, there was no such thing as a one-on-one fight with my family. So if you, if you were going to get one of us, you were going to get all of us together. And we understood that, look, I knew if there was a fight and I didn't help, I couldn't go home. Like, I, I, would, I probably wouldn't eat that night. I had, I had to help. I had to, to support. I had to care for the needs of my brother or my sister. Now, I'm not advocating for violence but I didn't want to get the violence of what was going to be at home. Are you hearing me? See, my mama's will for us is that we took care of one another. You, you with me? That we cared for one another. That we looked out for one another. That's what Paul is saying here. That you ought to care for one another. You ought to look past your own interest to look to the interest of others. That's being inside the will of God. I know y'all saw the the video of Kevin Ware, the Louisville uh, basketball player, and the accident that took place with him. Uh, Man, when I first saw that, um, I actually missed the footage, and uh, Richard just texted me a picture, and I was like, whoa! I I had no clue how bad it was. Um, And so then I saw the video on YouTube. And when I saw this video, I was stunned by what I saw. Not just by the injury, but when this guy went down, did you see the faces of his teammates? And you probably couldn't because the ones that were on the floor with him, they were literally bowing down with their faces into the floor, into the court. Turned, uh, turned away from this guy, their teammate, with their faces into the court because they couldn't believe it. They were, such, they were in such shock and awe. Um, I just remember, one of the things I remember about seeing the footage was that when the injury happened, um, I saw the player sitting on the bench, his teammates. When the injury happened, their first motion was to move back like this. These guys go to war together. Uh, their teammates, 
um, they spent hours practicing with one another and lifting weights with one another and drill after drill. And yet this guy goes down and their first response is, get back. And they're in shock and awe. But there is a glimpse of one teammate that I saw. And soon as this guy goes down, everybody else is like this. And this one teammate goes like this. And he kneels down. He kneels down and he begins to console his teammate. I want to believe that that dude was a Christian. And I don't know if he was or not. But I'm here to tell you that that is the responsibility of every believer in this room. Here's your job. Your job is not to go like this, but your job is to go like this. Your, your job is to get your knees dirty, to, to get your hands dirty and to bend down and to medicate the wounds of the broken. To, to medicate the wounds of the sick and the weak, the people who can offer you nothing. That's your job. That's what Paul is saying. If you want to be in the inside of the will of God, you'll get your knees dirty. You will, you will get your hands dirty. You will be the run, the one running to the issues of the weak in this city. You think there's some issues in this city? <laughs> you think there's enough infant mortality? Man, you, you think there's enough poverty? You think there's enough working poor? You think there's enough problems with, this, with the public school systems? We ought to be busy bending down, getting our knees dirty, medicating the wounds of the weak. See, in my mind I think about this guy who ran to his teammate's aid. And I'm thinking to myself... There's nothing he can do. There is nothing he can do to, to, to help this guy take away the pain. There's, there's nothing he can do. Oh, but presence. See, his presence. And I think that's for some of us. Some of us, we ought to be thinking a ministry of presence. Maybe you don't have money to give. Maybe you don't have some kind of intellect to give. But you have the gift of presence for the weak and the broken. You can do it. Paul says, if you want to be in the will of God, you will run to the issues of the weak. Secondly, when we understand the will of God, we are extremely thankful. When we understand the will of God, we're extremely thankful. Look at verse 16. Here's what it says, real short. Rejoice always. Now look at verse 18. Here's what it says. Give thanks in all circumstances. Get this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There you have two imperatives, which means two commands back to back from Paul. He says, rejoice. Give thanks. And one of the things that stand out here is that the Thessalonians have experienced suffering and hardship in their life. They've experienced suffering and hardship. They've experienced disappointment, 
yet Paul still commands them to rejoice and to be thankful in any and every circumstance. That's a message for somebody this morning. That you ought to be thankful. That walking in the will of God looks like no matter the circumstance, you will rejoice. You will have joy. This isn't the first time Paul has done this. Look at Philippians 4.4 with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. See, being in the will of God cultivates joy, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of sorrow and hardships. It cultivates joy. Why? Because you know your Redeemer lives. One of the things I I miss about the black church is testimonies. One of the things I miss about the black church is testimonies. And if you've ever been in black church, you know. I just remember clearly uh, my grandmama's church. And we'd be in my grandmama's church and we'd be lined up together. And, uh, you know, some old mother wearing a hat. She'd hoist herself up in the pew. And, and, and she'd stand where she is, or sometimes she'd make her way to the aisle. And if you know anything about testimony service, you can do one of two things. You can sing a song of encouragement, or you can give a word of encouragement, but you can't do both. You, you can, somebody laughing because they know what I'm talking. You, you can do one or the other. Don't try to do both. Alright? Um, so these mothers with these hats on, they, they'd hoist themselves up, and, and, and they begin by saying something like, giving honor to God, who's the head of my life. Woo! Woo! <laughs> giving honor to God, who's the head of my life. See how they start? With a big God and a little me. Giving honor to God, who's the head of my life. And I used to hear that so much and it didn't necessarily make sense to me until I started learning scripture more. Giving honor to God who's the head of my life. And then they go on to, to give testimony about maybe how they were sick and in the hospital. And the doctor told them that they wouldn't make it but God, but God, but God healed them. They would give thanks. Then they, maybe they go on to talk about how the bills were piling up. And somehow, God made a way out of no way. He was Jehovah Jireh, and he provided for them. They give thanks. And I love it, because the whole church would be agreeing with them, and amening with them, and walking with them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come go with me, y'all, this morning. <laughs> See, he, Mama would stand up. And the mother of the church, she, she'd be giving her testimony. She'd be giving thanks. She'd be giving thanks. Get this. Not because everything was perfect in her life. But she was giving thanks. She was rejoicing. Again, she says, rejoice because her God was sufficient. Her God was good. He was enough for her and and enough reason for her to give joy and to give thanks. That's what being inside the will of God looks like. 
that no matter the circumstance, you will give thanks. Yes, the breakup happened, but you still give thanks. You, you may have lost the job, but you can still give thanks because God is enough. The doctor's report came back and it wasn't too good, maybe for a loved one of yours. But the reason why you still have joy is because He is enough. He's enough. See, one of the ways the world will see that we really believe that God is enough is by how we suffer. By how um, we, we deal with disappointment. How we we deal with hardship, how we deal with sorrow. That's how the world will know that we really believe Jesus is enough by how we suffer. You want to be inside the will of God? You deal with sorrow and hardship well. Suffer well. And you give thanks even in the midst of that. Like one of them old mothers who gave honor to God, even when her world was not perfect, she still gave thanks. Paul, wants to, Paul says, if you want to be in the will of God, you will rejoice. Lastly, when we understand the will of God, we know our primary job is to trust God. It may sound simple, but so hard. When we're in the will of God, we know our primary job is to trust God. Look at verse 17. It says simply this, pray without ceasing. Paul commands the church to pray always, to consistently, get this, be depending upon the Lord. That's the job of the believer, to, to consistently depend on the Lord. You know why, why Jesus says, come like the little children? Because little children are totally dependent. They cannot survive without mom or dad. They're, they're, they're totally dependent upon him. And Jesus says, come like them. I, I will that you would be totally dependent upon me. That you would have this sense that you cannot survive without me. Pray without ceasing, he says. Hear this, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And in this I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he will make your path straight. Here's where I will point you. And you're probably thinking, Chris, tell me if I should take the job or not. Tell me if I should break up or stay. Tell me what I should do about moving to a different city. Here's my message to you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord. See, inside the will of God, you will trust him. No matter the circumstance. And trusting Him means you are literally throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus. Trust Him. Trust Him. Believe that He has your best in mind. Trust Him. 
Acts 17, 26 through 27 says this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Get this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, the reality is the reason why you don't know who you will marry. The reason why you don't know what job you ought to take, what city you ought to go to, the transitions you ought to make, um, uh, how you should deal with that wayward child. The reason why you don't know all of that stuff is because God, God, God wants you to seek him. He wants you to trust him with your whole heart. He wants you to lay yourself at his feet. To trust Him. To seek Him with everything that is in you. You might say, well, give me an answer. Tell me, tell me what, what I'm supposed to do. Seek the Lord. And you keep seeking Him. And you seek Him some more until He makes things clear. Here's what you do. You do the revealed will of God until God makes the secret will of God unsecret. Do what God has revealed to you. You do what God has shown you. Get on your knees and get your hands dirty, right? Until God reveals the secret. Do the revealed will of God. Until God makes plain the secret. Why does all this matter? Why in the world does it matter for me to be inside The will of God. See, if you are inside the will of God, that means you are walking with the Lord. And if you're walking with the Lord on the day of the Lord, you will be okay. Get this. Over and over again, here's what Paul's saying. Over and over again, every chapter in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Actually, right before our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. You want to know why you ought to be inside the will of God? Why you ought to be doing the known and the revealed will of God? Because the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, whether you are ready or not. He's coming. And what I mean by the day of the Lord is that Jesus will one day return to claim those that belong to him. And if you know Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. You ought to be hopeful for that day. But if you don't know him, you have a chance to get to know him. While you still have breath in your body, you ought to get to know him. You ought to learn that He is sufficient, that He is enough. You ought to accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Because He's coming back to claim those who belong to Him. Hallelujah, Jesus will return one day. He has not just left us astray, but one day He will come back. And claim those that belong to Him. Have you submitted to Him? 
Have you trusted in him? Have you got off the throne trying to control all things? Have you got off the throne of your life and allowed Jesus to be on the throne? Have you let go of the reins and allowed Jesus to control the reins? Submit to him. Believe in him. Believe in his life, death, and resurrection. Walk in his will and in his way because one day... He is coming back again. One of the things I love about, I love music, but I also love Negro spirituals. And one of the things I love about spirituals is that in many spirituals, there is an element of hope. There's an element of hope because here uh, you have people during the days of slavery literally shackled but yet singing. How in the world can you be shackled, but yet singing? How can you be enslaved, but yet singing? How can you have joy in those circumstances? Because they have hope. They had hope that one day freedom would come. One day that their Savior would come and redeem them and make all things new. If you know Jesus, that's the hope that you have This morning, that one day, He will come, He will rip away the chains of your sin, and He will make all things new, freeing us from the debt that we ought to pay. One day, He'll make all things new. You know, the reason why we should walk in the will of God, the reason why we should do the reveal will of God, that we should be serving others and being thankful always and rejoicing always because one day Jesus will come back. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you did not leave us without a plan. Father, thank you that you did not leave us without the comforter in your Holy Spirit. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would reaffirm in us, O Lord, that you're present to heal, to restore, and to set free. Father, I pray that if there are ones here that don't know you, God, I pray that you would not allow them to rest until they do. Father, that you burden their hearts with their need for you, O God. And may they run to the foot of the cross And find you there as their only hope. Father, I pray that you would receive them. That you would love them like I know you will. Thank you that you care for us that much. To send your only son to pay the penalty that we should have paid. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless these offerings that we're about to receive. Father, I pray that you would multiply them. For the furthering of your kingdom that your name and your fame may grow in the city of Memphis, in downtown Memphis, Lord, in West Memphis, in Bluffs, in Bluff Homes, Midtown, in East Memphis, all over this city, Father, that your fame, your glory would be made known. In Jesus' name, amen.